welcome back, and thank you for listening to Xenozoic Xenophiles, a fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales, a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs, from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. And this is a fan podcast. We're not affiliated with Mark Schultz, and the opinions expressed are just ours. We're doing this podcast because we truly enjoy reading and talking about the worlds of Xenozoic Tales created by Mark Schultz. In this episode, we're covering Xenozoic Tales Issue 4 from November 1987. It features a 20-page story written and illustrated by Mark Schultz and an 8-page story written by Mark Schultz and illustrated by Steve Stiles. And later in the episode, we'll share some of the great comments we received since last time. We've explained our title in the past, but we'll quickly mention that for any new listeners. Of course, Xenozoic is part of the title of the comic. Xeno is defined as something that is strange, different, or foreign, while Zoic refers to a geological period of time. So Xenozoic basically means strange era or strange age. And a xenophile is someone who is interested in foreign lands and foreign cultures. That word describes us perfectly, because we're always interested in foreign lands and cultures like those found in Xenozoic tales. Of course, many of you might be more familiar with this series under the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, as it has occasionally been called. The original series, created, written, and primarily illustrated by Mark Schultz, started with a backup story in the anthology comic Death Rattle in 1986, and then ran under the title Xenozoic Tales for 14 issues from 1987 to 1996 from Kitchen Sink Press. In 1990, Marvel's Epic Comics reprinted the first six issues of the Black and White series in color using the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. In 1993, there was a Saturday morning cartoon series, again using the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, that ran for a single season of 13 episodes. And there were three short miniseries published by Topps Comics based on the TV series continuity that were primarily written by Roy Thomas, working with various artists. There were also action figures and computer games released using the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs title. And we were recently happy when our friend Dr. G of the Pulp to Pixel podcasts, including Dial G for Gamer, introduced us to the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs role-playing game that came out in 1999. We're definitely going to check that out. Michael Bailey of the Fortress of Baileytude and Views from the Long Box recently stumbled across one of the Hannah Dundee action figures at the book nook and posted a photo on our Facebook page. Still in the box and in mint condition. Great find. And this is an exciting time to be revisiting the series, because after 20 years, Mark Schultz is working on a new Xenozoic Tales graphic novel. If you like the series, be sure to join the Facebook page, Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales and Other Stories, for all of the latest news and information. If you don't have the series but want to pick it up, there are some good options. The individual issues can be hard to find, but there have been multiple trade paperback collections over the years. Most of these trade paperback collections are out of print, but you can usually find them used at a reasonable price. There is also a recent collection titled Xenozoic. It contains all of the stories written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. It's a beautiful collection that we recommend highly, although we're just a little disappointed that it does not include the backup stories written by Mark Schultz, but drawn by Steve Stiles. And if you would like some music to listen to while reading the series, then consider picking up songs from the Xenozoic Age. It's an eclectic mix of fun songs by Chris Christensen that are inspired by the series, and the CD features album art by Mark Schultz. We enjoy sharing listener feedback and being part of all the fun exchanges with listeners on social media. So feel free to write in anytime and let us know your thoughts on the characters, stories, and art, or tell us how you first discovered Xenozoic Tales. We'll provide our email address and other ways to contact us at the end of the episode. Also, if you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our other podcasts that are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. 
Tracker Talk is a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of the sci-fi comic Trekker by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. And Warlord Worlds is a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of writer and artist Mike Grell, including Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. Ron Randall, Mike Grell, and Mark Schultz are our three favorite comic creators. Their stories are filled with adventure and interesting characters, and their art is outstanding. We'll include links to those other podcasts in our show notes, but for now, let's dig into this month's issue. Xenozoic Tales, issue number four, November 1987. Editor, Dave Schreiner. Letters, Denise Prowl. Publisher, Dennis Kitchen. Production, Jan Manwiller. Special assistance from Vince Rush, Susan Wagner, and Denise. Original cover colors by Ray Fehrenbach. Reprint edition, color covers by Denise Prowl. Interior covers by Denise Prowl and Ray Fehrenbach. It's the early 26th century. The world has undergone great geological upheavals, creating global catastrophes. Few people survived. Those that did found themselves living in isolated tribes in a very different world and a strange ecosystem. It's a new age known as the Xenozoic Era. The original cover features an image of Hannah Dundee holding on for dear life as she hangs from a suspension bridge stretching between two buildings in the city and the sea, while several giant lizard-like threshers from the water below snap at her heels. I especially like this cover. The image captures the movement perfectly, and you really feel that Hannah is in peril. The reprint cover features an image of Jack Tenrit, Hannah Dundee, and Mustafa Cairo. All three of them have pistols in hand and are aiming at something just off the page. In the background, a giant lizard-like creature is wrapped around a bomb that is sitting on an altar. It's a great composition and makes for an impressive cover. History Lesson, written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. The story picks up where the previous issue left off. Jack and Hannah have found the dead body of Governor Gorgostomos laying on the ledge. His rifle with a scope is still in hand, and it's obvious to both of them that he planned to ambush them and kill them upon their return. They discuss whether the Grith could have had anything to do with it, but neither feel it is much of a loss considering what the governor obviously had planned for them, and they proceed to remove a gold tooth and his boots. Nothing should be wasted in this world. As they drive back, Hannah is filled with questions for Jack about the Grith and where the Slithers came from. She knows they didn't exist before the Cataclysm. Jack doesn't have the answers, but he and Mustafa Cairo need to go to the underground vaults in the Catacombs. Jack will be picking up some engine parts, and Mustafa needs to check out the pumps since the Catacombs are underground and below the waterline. There is also a library in the Catacombs, and while she isn't technically permitted, Jack is sure that he and Mustafa can get her inside. Getting to the vaults includes a dangerous walk across a suspension bridge stretched precariously between two buildings in the city. The ocean below the bridge is filled with several hungry-looking threshers, what we know as Mosasaurus, and Jack and Mustafa have to stop Hannah from leaning too far over the bridge to get a close look at the creatures below, who obviously want to have her for dinner. After some fast talking with the guards, Jack, Hannah, and Mustafa descend into the vaults, where they are greeted by Wilhelmina Scharnhorst, the leader of the moles, which is the name used for those who live and work underground. Mustafa goes off to begin checking the pumps to ensure they continue to keep the ocean from filling the underground vaults. Jack stops off at a level filled with a seemingly endless supply of car and airplane parts, 
and Hannah continues on to the library, escorted by a guard. But even though she is surrounded by more books than she could read in her lifetime, Hannah's attention is drawn to two large sealed doors that her guard tells her she is not permitted to enter. The guard becomes bored while watching her read, and when he falls asleep, Hannah sneaks off and opens the sealed doors. Walking into the room, she is shocked to see a large bomb sitting atop an altar, almost as though it is being worshipped. Suddenly, a club swings toward her, but Hannah manages to dodge it and sees it as the guard who has woken and found her. The commotion of moles running through the catacombs attracts Jacks and Mustafa's attention, and they follow them to find Hannah at the center of attention and the bomb on the altar behind her. Jack quickly takes in the situation and realizes the moles have two very different points of view about the bomb. One group believes the bomb should be studied to see what can be learned from it. The other group believes the bomb should be feared and locked away. They believe they can feel evil emanating from it, and Jack is inclined to agree with that group. These two groups obviously haven't been able to come to any agreement and have chosen to keep the bomb a secret from the surface residents of the city. As the two groups argue, Mustafa climbs the steps of the altar and examines the bomb. He then turns to tell them that both factions are wrong. The inner workings have been removed. The bomb is just a shell. It doesn't contain any evil, and it doesn't contain any mechanisms that could be studied. Suddenly, water begins to flood into the room, and Jack looks around and notices that Scharnhorst is missing. She's turned off the pumps for this level, and the ocean is now rushing in. Everyone begins to race toward the vault doors and the waiting elevator. Jack looks everywhere, but can't find Hannah, until the very last moment as she is barely able to get through the vault doors just before they close. She managed to get to the controls and seal off the doors to the library before it completely flooded. As they ascend in the elevator, Mustafa tells her that one day they will be able to reactivate the pumps and hopefully find that the books have survived. The opening page is creepy as we see pteranodons flying away after picking clean the bones of Governor Gorgostomos. The scenes of our heroes crossing the suspension bridge remind me of watching a Ray Harryhausen movie. I love the look of the city, the buildings, the bridge, and the creatures in the ocean below. Very exciting. I particularly like the scene of the boat that Jack and Hannah are riding through the city to pick up Mustafa. It really establishes how large the city is and that much of it is sparsely populated and that many dangers still hide in the shadows. The catacombs are dark and mysterious and you have to wonder how that many cars and airplanes were stored there either before or during the cataclysm. The library looks amazing, and I could imagine Professor Allen, Emily, and Mark Sweeney working there desperately trying to keep the books from deteriorating further. And I have to say that visually the bomb on the altar made me think of Beneath the Planet of the Apes. I'm not quite sure why, because it looks very different, but something about it just made me think of that movie. This was a great story that felt like a great classic pulp adventure. The entire story took place in the city in the sea, but didn't feel confined which just illustrates what a rich and interesting world Mark Schultz has created. Black Canary. I'll need a sparring partner. I'm Zatanna. Why do you care about some leggy dame in nylons? Or have I answered my own question? Black Canary and Zatanna, together in one podcast. 
I'm Ryan Daly, and I've got a thing for superheroes in fishnet stockings. That's why I started Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. Join me every two weeks as I celebrate the Blonde Bombshell and the Mistress of Magic in their exciting adventures published by DC Comics. Power of Fishnets, available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Postal Service, written by Mark Schultz, illustrated by Steve Stiles. In a world where radio communications break down more often than they work, a reliable postal service is a necessity. Latimer Rowe eases his boat into dock. He's in charge of the City and the Seas Postal Service and uses his boat to make the rounds on the coastal circuit. In the city, he has four very reliable mail carriers, and the most dependable is slow and steady Eustace. As Latimer Rowe gives Eustace his mail bag, he points out an important damage report that the governing council is waiting for. As the day progresses, Eustace is confidently making his way throughout the city until he turns a corner and accidentally slips on a mess left from a barrel of leaking oil. The letters fly from his mail bag, scattering throughout the sticky oil. Eustace is shaken by the incident and frantically searches the area, collecting all of the letters he can find. He cleans them the best he can and then hesitantly continues his rounds. At the end of the day, Eustace returns to report the accident to Latimer Rowe, only to find the postmaster being verbally accosted by one of the city's governors. The important damage report was never delivered. Eustace explains what happened, and he and Rose spend most of the night methodically searching his route, but aren't able to find the missing report. Eustace trudges home defeated, his confidence now evaporated. In the darkness, he doesn't notice the oily letter that has been stuck to the bottom of his boot. As he steps in a puddle, it finally comes loose and drifts away in the water over the edge of the walkway into the ocean. Many of these backup stories establish how the world of Xenozoic Tales works, and this is a perfect example. This story may not seem as important to the series as the other story in the issue, but this type of development makes the world richer and more interesting and engaging. I really enjoyed it and felt so sorry for Eustace. He is proud of his dependability, and you can tell by the end of the story that his confidence is shaken and his outlook on his job has changed. You can't help but worry about his future. And it's amazing that Mark Schultz and Steve Stiles made us feel so much concern for him in just these few pages. Doom Patrol. 1963. Doom Patrol debut. My Greatest Adventure, issue 80. 1964. My Greatest Adventure, renamed Doom Patrol. Issue 85. 1968. Doom Patrol, destroyed. Issue 121. 1976. The new Doom Patrol. Showcase 94. 1987. Doom Patrol, Volume 2. Berg Lytle. 1989. Morrison and Case. Issue 19. 1993. Pollack. Issue 64. 2001. Doom Patrol, Volume 3. Arcudi Hewitt. 2004. Doom Patrol, Volume 4. Burn. Shush. 2009. Doom Patrol, Volume 5. Giffen Clark. 2012. 2013. 2014? 2015? 2016? 
Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast, because we're waiting. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. Let's talk a bit about who's who and what's what in Xenozoic Tales. This is the 26th century, long after a series of geological cataclysms. What is known as the city in the sea in these stories is the island of Manhattan that is now partially submerged in the ocean. The city of Wasoon is what we know as Washington, D.C. Jack Tenrick is an old blood mechanic, one of the few people who have learned how to repair the many machines left over from the distant past. While he can be gruff at times, he is more respected by residents than the governors who run the city. Hannah Dundee is a scientist and ambassador from Wasoon who has come to the city in the sea in the hopes of building cooperation between the two cities. Mustafa Cairo is an engineer and one of Jack's best friends. His services are obviously needed everywhere, as we've seen him fixing machinery at distant mines and here in the city. Wilhelmina Scharnhorst is the leader of the Moles, a group of people who prefer to live and work underground, where they search the ancient ruins in and under the city and the sea. She despises the old blood mechanics, and she and Jack have little respect for each other. Next up is listener feedback, when we share the emails and other messages we've received since last time. Thanks to everyone for the comments. Your support and encouragement is great, and we sincerely appreciate everyone who took the time to get in touch to share your thoughts. We were able to attend RobCon this summer. It's a convention run by our longtime friend Robert Pilk. He owns what we still consider our local comic shop, which is really our long-distance comic shop, since we haven't lived near it for many years. However, we continue to buy our comics from Robert, and we get a package on our front porch from him every month. We were joined at the convention by our friends Chris and Mary, who live in our old hometown, and came out to spend the afternoon with us browsing through the dealer's room and roaming up and down Artist Alley. We had an unexpected surprise at the con when we ran into fellow Xenozoic Tales fan Scott Connor. We've connected with him just recently through our mutual love of the works of Mark Schultz, and it was a great pleasure to spend time with him at the con. It was great to meet you in person, Scott. Regarding the prizes we gave out last time for those who won the drawings for submitting iTunes reviews, Professor Allen wrote in to say, Yay, I won. Thanks, guys, and congratulations to the other winners. Vic Sage, who writes for The Retroist and is the host of Retro Radio Memories podcast, wrote to us on Facebook saying, I absolutely love the Xenozoic Xenophiles podcast. Please keep up the great work. Thanks, Vic. Glad you liked it. Thanks to our good friend Brian Mulvey for all of the promotion he does for us on Twitter, including a post he did for the last episode saying, A great show by an amazing duo. Thanks, Brian. Ruth Reese is a longtime supporter of our Trekker Talk podcast, and we were happy to find her promoting this show and commenting on what a great cover Mark Schultz created for issue number three of Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. John Baker, who is always encouraging to us with many positive comments on Twitter, wrote after last episode to say, Thanks for the interesting take on this series. Kind of fascinating. It's a very interesting look at a comic that a lot of people probably don't know ever existed. I like that. I keep hoping I will stumble across these comics at a garage sale or somewhere. You guys have inspired me. Writer Christopher Mills did a great post on his blog, Atomic Pulp and Other Meltdowns, about Xenozoic Tales. We were delighted to see it as one of his all-time favorite comic series. He has some great comments about the art and writing, and he posted the photos of the covers of the three oversized kitchen sink press books from the 90s. I'll just share one quote from him that said, Schultz's artwork is classic echoing the great illustrators of the past, while exhibiting a dynamism and romanticism all its own. We'll put a link in our show notes so you can check it out. And if you haven't already, 
you should check out the Perils on Planet X comic that Christopher did with artist Jean Gonzalez, as well as Femme Noir that Christopher does with artist Joe Staten. Greg Arujo runs the terrific comic book ad Facebook page, and he posted a great ad for Cadillac's Dinosaurs since our last episode. We'll share a link to his page in the show notes as well. Check it out. Anja, the Supergirl comic box commentary blog, posted a photo of the VHS tape he planned to watch on his retro movie night. It was Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Coincidentally, we had just mentioned our love of the films of Ralph Bakshi on our last episode, and Ange attributed that coincidence to great minds and cosmic synchronicity. And we received a new iTunes review since the last episode from Paul Hicks of the Waiting for Doom podcast, all about the Doom Patrol. Paul wrote, Great people doing a great comics podcast. I'd often admired the comic Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, known as Xenozoic Tales, but never picked it up. Darren and Ruth are a charming couple who take their listeners on a journey through this comic, which is the next best thing to reading it yourself. Highly recommended. Subscribe today. Thank you, Paul. Next, we want to extend our thanks to everyone who supported the show on social media since the last episode. These are people who liked or shared posts from us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook. Your support helps draw attention to the podcast, and we sincerely appreciate all that each of you do. Before we start, let us say if we miss a name, please let us know, and we'll correct that in the next episode. And also forgive us if we mispronounce your name. Just email us and let us know, and we'd be happy to correct that next episode as well. Ange of the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary Blog. Arthur Ratnick. Brian Malvey. Chris Sheehan. Corey Hodgden. Cullen Stapleton and John Holloway of the Worst Comics Podcast Ever, in name only. David Pascarella, David Walker, Dr. G, Man of Nerdology of the Pulp to Pixel podcast, Drew Johnson, Ed Terry and Nick Moore of Till Productions, Eric Mannix of Out of the Fridge and Pages for All Ages, Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strikes and Anime Freaks, Hibino Harilluya, Jeff Doak, Jim Romoldi, Joe Crawford of the blog for the Non-Discerning Reader, John Baker, John Sim, Karen Williams of Between the Pages, Mark Lax, Mark Adams, Martin Gray of the Too Dangerous blog, Nicholas Prom of Comic Reflections, Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Robert Evans, Robert Wolfman Bratcher, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ruth Reese, Ryan Daly of Secret Origins and many other podcasts, Scott Connor, Sean Voigt, Silver and Gold Podcast, Stephen Jones, Sin, Vic Sage, a.k.a. The Question, a.k.a. Larry Looper Jr., and Weird Science DC. Thanks so much. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. Please let us know your thoughts through email, Facebook, or Twitter. You can reach us at xenozoicxenophiles at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr under the name Xenozoic Xenophiles. And you can always visit xenozoicxenophiles.com for links to all of our social media pages. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It's a great way to help the show get noticed and hopefully attract more listeners. And please consider subscribing to the show so you always know when there's a new episode. If you like the show, please consider trying out our other podcast, Trekker Talk about sci-fi bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair by Ron Randall and Warlord Worlds, where we cover the comic creations of Mike Grell. In our opinions, these three creators are master storytellers and artists, and we're always happy to talk about their work and hear what others have to say. Thanks for listening, and we hope you will come back next time for another new episode of Xenozoic Xenophiles. Xenophiles.
Xenozoic Xenophiles is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. For more information, please visit comicspodcasts.com. We are not affiliated with Mark Schultz or the various companies that have published the series. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album, Movie Tunes, Background Music, Songs and Loops, Volume 2. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended.